Um, I can hear you, yeah. Right, Bo. Um. So shall we start? Yeah. Questions? We have a question in the audience here. Can I take that first? Yeah, I, that was my plan, was you would take the questions there first. Yes, Ganuram. You mentioned the other day, you were talking about um, Krishna and uh, Rasalila dance, dancing with each gopi. And the question was asked, so do does each gopi know that Krishna is also dancing with the other gopis? And your response was that they don't know that because it would lend to a, that their feeling of Aishvarya might be increased if they were to know that he's like a powerful mystic or a god that is acting through him or something like that. So my question is, there are, it seems like there may be some instances where Krishna does something profound um, and it does not increase the, the feelings of Aishvarya in, the, in, the, in his followers and friends and envelope um so do, are the gopis seems like their seems like their mood wouldn't be affected by feelings of aishvarya in response to such a thing right typically that's true that uh the, the measure of the brain in brudge comparatively as they compare it to comparable to natura or dwarka where Aishvarya is more prominent, um, the measure of the frame and Braj is such that even if Krishna shows some Aishvarya, um, for example, lifting the world downhill, quite a measure of majesty and opulence, it doesn't affect their frame and cause it to shrink. Whereas if you go, for example, to uh, Bhagavad Gita when Arjuna was shown the universal form, the Viratarupa, then this Saki frame, it, uh, it receded and was overtaken by the majestic display of Krishna, which he felt uncomfortable with. But in Braj, that, 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 that doesn't happen. But um, I think what I meant by that um, uh, was more that, well, each gopi is allowed to think that Krishna is with me only. She may find out that every devotee, every devotee felt like that. They all exchanged that, but at least one at a time, <laughs> something like that. And um, I, I think that it, it, uh, it, it's an instance in which knowledge of his Vaishvarya, that he's doing something supernatural, extraordinary, would not have enhanced the 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 the, the, the occasion in 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 ways. Uh, well, yeah, would not have enhanced the situation. Um, 
there are other aspects of it that are uh, elements of Aishvara in the sense of devas are showering flowers and flying in airplanes and washing them. They are aware of that and they you know, take that in in a particular way. But we find instances also in, in Satyaras where Krishna expands himself to be with all of his friends at the same time, in a bed for him. Uh, is made of flowers for him and he uses each one of them as a pillow and his friends and I, I just if you could just think about it for a minute it kind of takes away from the whole affair if, if that one's aware of that so it's a little bit of a different um, way in which we would say that uh, uh, Aishwarya, the Aishwarya Shakti of Krishna is functioning for a particular purpose that it's not in the interest of everyone to be aware of what she's doing. She sees an opportunity, Aishwarya Shakti, to play a role in the Madhurya Leela, which is characteristically, in one sense, not um, predominated by Aishwarya, even while in another sense, as I've said before, the real Aishwarya is the intimacy. The intimacy is the most extraordinary display of his godhood that you could possibly come up with. Balabhibhijabhushan says that each of the Brajabhasis has a sign, has a, has a, like something Aishwarya written on the back of their heads, printed there. But no one can read it, so love is blind and uh, ignorance is bliss. Which is a way of his saying this is the ultimate Aishvarya itself. It exceeds even the ex extraordinary Aishvarya of Krishna's Brahma Vimohan Leela, which he showed to Brahma, which is overtly such. But if you look more deeply, the fact that the God is doing this, in, in, intimately associating as such with his devotees, is, is, uh, is the most extraordinary aspect of the, of the Godhead, which far exceeds any overt display of majesty. So, so, the, so Vrindavan is the most, there you'll find the most Aishvara, the fullest expression of it. And these two, Aishwari and Madhuri, the, the majesty and the intimacy of the Leela are, are interpenetrating, really, one another. Raja Leela, Vijay. Nice talk. Huh? Yes. And would they think that, oh, this is just the doings of Narayan? Well, it would be difficult to think that in, that, in those circumstances. I think it's just hidden from. How uh, all, all together for the sake of um, affording gopis in this case the, the experience. They see Krishna, they see that the, the, the dance begins. He's dancing with all of them, one after another. But then as it, each of them it appears. Now he's exclusively with me. They may now he's with with her. He may, they may experience that as well. Yes. Um, kind of came to think of uh, I was reading Gita this morning, and I think it's eleven thirty-five. 
universe. When Arjuna is just starting to address Krishna after sitting with Virat Rupa, it said that Gadgada, you know the word Gadgada, he kind of goes into this Anubhav. So it just was wondering how is that in relation with, with his sort of Sakya mood, which is diminished by the Aishwarya. So is there any, how, how to understand that? Does that make sense? What you're saying is that he was choked up. Yeah, but then Ar I think your Arjun. comment there that that, that is his path coming out. But if it's diminished by that Aishwarya seeing that kind of that fearful aspect. Well, I think that the nature of Arjun's bhav is, is such that it responds in a particular way to the Aishvarya. So it's not that he loses his bhav altogether, but the nature of his sakharas is that it's, it's will be affected in, in such circumstances. It doesn't mean that he won't uh, have uh, ecstatic symptoms and and, uh, and so forth. So to give make the case further a little bit. It's not that um, like, uh, that extent it's like the voice choking up is only relevant to intimacy in love of God. That can also take place in relation to in a setting where the devotees have love for Krishna in in um, with Aishwarya Bhav. So there are sacred devas for uh, that were manifested by Kunta also. You understand? Another question. Or from Zoom. Um, I've got one. Can you hear me okay? I can. Okay. Um, so Yugo Kishore has a question. Hello. Hello. Hey, Swami. Sorry, I couldn't make it there uh, this weekend, but it's good to be on the phone call with you guys. Yeah, it's good to have you. <laughs> I ended up having to work. I actually have to go into work in a little bit. But, um, okay, so I, I believe I told you last time I had, like, so many questions. I'm trying to really... Um, maximize everybody's time so maybe i'll ask this in your own um sadhana over the years i mean you've been a monk for over 50 years which is extraordinary i think mind-blowing for most people what has the rule of um doubt been in your own practice the rule of doubt the role the role of doubt been in your own practice like how has that factored into your um development of of faith and you know trusting the process and kind of looking at these um um epistemological hierarchies as swami padmanabha calls them of like gurus shastra sangha these sort of things how does that uh, doubt factor into that process well um i would say that um the, my first experience of doubts arose in the context of sharing my faith in the streets with uh, persons, context of distributing Prabhupada's books, 
in parking lots in Los Angeles and, and such. And um, they would arise when I would try to explain some philosophical point in the context of trying to encourage someone to purchase the book. And then they would have a response. And if I couldn't respond, I would always have a response, but my response was not always to my satisfaction. Mm -hmm. So then I would be possessed <laughs> to come back and find a better answer, mm -hmm. always. And I had uh, two ways of doing that. One would be to look into the books that we had, which were limited while unlimited at the same time. I mean, the books were coming out gradually and there's so many more books now. Uh, even by different authors, and I myself am an author, and so forth and so on. So the extent to which Gaudius Sedanta has been, is out and about now, um, well, it's evidenced by the kind of questions we get and so forth. I mean, these questions have never been asked in 1972. Hmm. I think, you know, <laughs> you know so uh, that's just a, a result of... Uh, well, uh, just another point comes to my mind. I used to think, well, if, because we have this kind of idea we were going to take over the world, you know, uh, <laughs> just by selling pamphlets books. And, uh, and I used to think, well, if we did, if America, the United States became, you know, had uh, was converted to Hinduism, at least, or something like that, you know, well, even Gaudi Vaishnavism, I thought, there would still be so much like problems and confusion, you know, questions to be answered, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I, I like the, the challenge. So I thought, well, it'll never end. You know, it's just going to be on another level. And so, but anyway, we find that as it grows and, and uh, more um, uh, knowledge about the tradition, its history, its its philosophy, its theology is circulated and so forth and people are taking birth in the mission who were in the mission previously and so forth so we get people whose level of participation and so forth uh, fosters deeper questions and so on but at any rate at the time we had you know in the beginning we had for example little um, chapters published of the Bhagavatam Prabhupada was translating the Bhagavatam and uh, uh, when I joined the, the, his, uh, the, the earlier edited by Macmillan um, publishing house, edition of Prabhupada was available, was fairly heavily edited. They you know, took out a lot of it uh, to make it what they thought was more marketable. Mm -hmm. And so there was work going on to bring out the unedited edition, which would be published by his own book trust, which was you know, had now been formed and so forth. We had the teachings of Lord Chaitanya, which Prabhupada was the only book that he wrote because all the other books were comments on other books and so forth. And then we had, um, I think we might have had the Nectar Devotion too, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. And there were little books like Easy Journey to Other Planets and um, was it a topmost yoga? Sri Upanishad. Sri Upanishad, yeah. Uh, the Krishna books came out, short little trilogy and so forth. So, you know, so anyway, I would, uh, that's what I would do. Uh, my life consisted of rising, waking, attending the programs, chanting, uh, going through the class, 
taking prashadam. If my rounds weren't finished, which is how it was originally, then I would go and stand before the deities, Mazarin's, and chant till they were finished. And then, because I didn't know what to do with myself, I didn't have an education or any expertise. And I felt all the devotees were much more talented than myself. Um, I like to talk about Krishna, so I'd catch a bus and go to Hollywood Boulevard and a pair of cartels, and I would chant for 20 minutes, and then I would distribute books for an hour, and then I would chant for 20 minutes and so forth. When I, eventually, the guy who, uh, who drove the bus, he, when he dropped me off, in, in, um, or when I'd get on the bus, he knew he should make an announcement. I would listen to this guy now. They all pay attention to him. You know what he's talking I'm rather introverted in, in a lot of ways, but when it comes to speaking about Krishna, I'm not, I'm not too shy. So, um, um, so uh, at any rate, I would go back and I would read. You know, this is one of the ways of resolving the doubts, if you will, and the other ways that I would I would go and chant before the deities and uh, just let them know that I got to get a better answer for this guy. You know, the next person. Ask that question, and invariably I would get the answers and I feel they were satisfactory and so forth and so on. But, um, so that was my beginning of uh, experience of, of doubts how they would come. One time, um, just remembering those early days in uh, in Los Angeles, um, I actually joined in Santa Cruz Mountains. Um, well, I wouldn't go into that, but uh, I was. I, I had gone. <laughs> anyway, they found me. The devotees who were traveling Sankirtan party, they, they found me in, in Santa Cruz Mountains with a shaved head and an orange robe chanting and, and uh, teaching from the Krishna book. I didn't know how to join, but I had come in touch with these things and adapted the attire and so forth. So you so can't do it like that. You know, I was married, but you can't wear that color. Okay. <laughs> I really want to do it. You know? So then I moved down to Santa Cruz where they had a preaching center. And there I would go out and Harinam and also sell back to Godhead magazines. And then Prabhupada came to Los Angeles several few months later. So they put, took me down with me, Prabhupada and Prabhupada told me to stay there. And um, my wife was pregnant, so they gave us a little apartment across from the temple. And then I would, as I said, we go out on book distribution. So uh, at any rate, um, during that period, uh, a doubt arose in my mind. It was very disturbing. That was uh, a fellow, I think his name was Mahapurush. He uh, said to me one day, he was in, had joined earlier than me, so there was a big thing about that. He had joined six months earlier. He was a senior. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, he said to me, you know, not everybody goes to Goloka. Most of the devotees go to Vaikuntha. And that just really disturbed my mind. I thought, how could that possibly be? Okay, I would chant before Rukmini and Dwarpadesh. It was one of the biggest. It wasn't a doubt. It was a doubt that, had, that he had caused by what he said that I couldn't agree with. But I, I know I didn't have the answer to it. Now you know so much, any of you could, could answer it, you know, I suppose. But then we were a little limited, and Prabhupada was bringing it out as fast as he could, and faster than we could publish 
what he was writing and so forth. Um, but uh, but uh, the DDs resolved it for me, <laughs> uh, thankfully. Um, so that was my initial uh, experience with doubts and how to, how to deal with them. And as time went on, um, you know, nothing changed really. Uh, but uh, another kind of era, if you will, of, of doubts that arose was um, when I came in touch with, um, we, we lived in a little bit of a, of a cocoon, so to speak, or, you know, with Prabhupada, which is Prabhupada and us and, uh, and, the, and the world. And we were relatively unaware of Gaudi Vaishnavism at large. We didn't have much of any experience of it. We had a little bit in that uh, Prabhupada, while he was writing his books, you don't mind me going on about this. This was a long answer. But um, he's writing his books. He had also books from uh, Gaudi Amath that had been published. The focus of Bhakti Sanat Sarasikaka was mostly not his own books, but the books of Bhakti Vinodo. There were a couple of things that he had written to. Prabhupada had them shipped to, um, to America, which at that time was capital of was in uh, was in uh, Los Angeles, and so on Sundays I would man the book table and with all these Godiamat books that we had, and some you know limited what books of proper that we had. So like I read you know Jaiva Dharma in what I call Benguish, <laughs> half Bengali and half English, but because it was in English, but you know um, you know 1973. And I, uh, dealing with issues in the text um, and um, harmonizing them, the way in which Bhakti Vinod talked about certain things and perhaps differently. But that um, difference, if you will, became more prominent in my experience after Prabhupada left and to fill the vacuum, if you will, that his own disciples, um, I would say, fell short of, of, of filling um, by the uh, arrangement of Krishna, other persons came to the surface. And a and, and prominent one, of which, of course, was one of whom Prabhupada opened the door to Kujipa, Bhaktivedanta Dagaya Kosami Maharaj. And there I had his Bhatta Nekrod Puri Gosami Maharaj. Also, was uh, became some prominent Prabhupada and so forth, and uh, you know others. Uh, they were like, you know, uncles. Bhakti Gopinath was like an older you know, cousin. Being, him being a disciple of of one of Prabhupada's godbrothers, came to with him after Prabhupada uh left and so forth. So these persons were coming onto the scene, and they were speaking about Gaudiya Vaishnavism and the larger world, if you will, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism became uh, more apparent to me. And some of the, in, in the context of that, some of the arguments against Gaudiya Math, against Bhakti Siddhanta, who was a very powerful preacher and disturbed a lot of people, which is what preaching tends to do. It tends to unsettle people, make them rethink and, uh, and, and so on. Not just a pat on the back, if you will. Um, so um, 
I was always, any arguments, I was up for the challenge. You know? And uh, the very, uh, some, well, to uh, add to this, some, a few, a handful of my godbrothers had left Prabhupada's mission. I said to Nandan, Itai, Garba, Named them um, Pandu, Sri Krishna, no. He joined Sri But they left, they left the, the, the Bhakti Vinod Paribar. And so, so they've been exposed to arguments against the validity of our parampara. Um, and in response to them, well, they, they left our parampara and then joined and became reinitiated in other party bars. Hmm? Um, and if you, the, the, the arguments that um, fostered that, that they, caved to, if you will. If I was to lay them out to you now, those of you who've heard me for, for years, you'd probably find them fairly, fairly silly. I mean, uh, but there was a very, in Gaudiya Vaishnavism, you have, since the time of the founding Acharyas, you have some, some renunciates, really extraordinary people. And then you had largely the Goswamis, who were not, who were like, adopted the name, as far as I understand, Goswami, even though they were family people, to show their, their identification with Rupa and Sanatana, having been initiated by, well, it would have been by Jiva Goswami, uh, who was Rupa Sanatana, they didn't initiate widely, Rupa Sanatana initiated Jiva Goswami, but Gopal Bhatta Goswami had a number of disciples and so forth. So I think they, as far as I can tell, they changed their name to Goswami and they were householders. It's, it's, it's kind of weird to think, well, a householder is not a Goswami, but another way it's kind of charming. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, these were religious men from Brahmin families mm -hmm. and uh, by caste, if you will, within Varnashram, the Brahmins would be the religious uh, teachers mm -hmm. and the priests. And so when you take that and bring that into Gaudiya Vaishnavism, well, they were the, they became, because they be, they were not Brahmins only, but they were Gaudiya Vaishnavas, they became the kind of default, uh, largely uh, gurus. And they, unlike the, the you know, the Gorkishore Das Babaji's or the Bamsi Das Babaji's were, you know, plentiful uh, in comparison. And they, focused a little bit more on making like a systematic approach and, and formalizing, uh, you know, how things would, what would, what would be the aspects of initiation. You had to get a letter to identify that you were actually a member of this party bar and you have to wear this, this color, or you would have to have your key lock like this. All these things came, came from, from this. They're, they're nice, they're meaningful. They're beautiful. Each party has its own chi lock, a little different than the other one. And, and uh, because they're coming from 
Natchanand or, or Advaita, then it will, that will have some factor in where particularly they're going to end up in Goloka, under which groups of Manjaris and so forth. It's a nice thing, um, but it's somewhat, uh, somewhat relative uh, and lots and lots and lots of details that are subject to the change and so forth. You take what Bhakti Siddhanta Sarskatakura was trying to do, put the mission of Bhakti Vinod, the idea, the spirit of Bhakti Vinod in place, but he had to make all kinds of adjustments. And, um, you know, they would say, well, here, it says right here that Bhagavad Vaishnava should wear a white cloth. You're wearing saffron. You're wearing, you're wearing saffron. It's kind of silly to think that the color, I mean, King Kori Baba would have wore a burlap bag. <laughs> so, uh, but, but it, it, the arguments at the time were pressing to these devotees. There's, there's lots of them. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasthi Thakur, after he left, then people came out of the woodwork to criticize his mission, which, which um, was weakened by the same thing that Prophet Ziskan was weakened by, an inability to, to some extent of his disciples to fill the vacuum. Mm -hmm. Over time, of course, they did that. My Maharaj, and so on. But it took years for that to come about. And it came about independent of the official mission. So that means it takes time to build up. Nagodiyamapa was a powerful institution, but when you have differences from someone who is uh, presenting themselves as the real heir, apparent, and for good reason, then you have to go separately. Well, they, they started their missions. And it took time for them to have the kind of credibility and numbers and books and, you know, temples and so forth, that they were really an institution. I don't have to worry about that. I got some books. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, over time, like take Prabhupada, for example. Prabhupada, what is it? He came to America in 1965 or something like that. That's a long time. 30 years after Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvatakura disappeared and then took him a few years to establish ISKCON and so forth. Meanwhile, during that period, it took some of his godbrothers years to get a dozen temples in India where they were preaching. Um, uh, uh, this, uh, what was his name? Well, they were preaching in different parts. You know, maybe one of Prophet's godbrothers. They had, they had fairly robust Missions, a number of them. Shiramarsh did, but wasn't was the coach's nature. He had him off in Navadweep and was very uh, introverted comparatively. But some of them had pretty robust missions in India and so forth. They didn't compare to the, you know, the profit were established worldwide and so forth. But anyway, the point is this took a little bit of, of time. So a vacuum was created with regard to succession and who will fill the shoes of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasvati Thakur. You find that in ISKCON also. And so people like me came out and Shidar Marsh came you know, to um, fill the gap, relatively speaking, or absolutely speaking, but to a limited extent. He told me, Swami Marsh, Prabhupada told you everything, you know everything, go and do something for me, start a mission yourself. And if you have any questions, I will be in the background and, and so forth. So. 
Um, so anyway, at, at, that, at that time, I became more exposed to other arguments about our paramparas. So I was very like keen on finding the answers. Govinda Maharaj, the successor of Pujapachita, was once said, Matri Paramaharaj, she has deep Guru Nishta to go after that issue. <laughs> We've got a chat, go ahead, research all of that, because other people had researched it and succumbed you know, to, to um, the points that were being raised, the criticism of the party bar and so forth. Now, you know, I got into it quite a bit, and I thought the arguments were a little more challenging at the time, but I, I needed to satisfy my own, you know, doubting function, my own intellect, you know, um, and respond. I wrote a short, short booklet some years ago called Sri Guru Parampara, the, I had a subtitle, I forget what it was, the, uh, the heir of Kedanath. Thakur Bhakti Bhakti Siddhanta, and the difference between him and his brother, Philippe Prashad, who was critical of Bhakti Siddhanta and his mission, in, in which some of my godliness had gone to him and left this con, a few of them. None of them fared that well. That's another thing. Over time, they thought they were going to step into Manjari bodies momentarily. Didn't happen like that. Um, but my experience was always very deep. So I was grounded in experience um, and I supported my experience with my philosophical you know, penchant, acumen um, and so forth. So my doubts might be uh, different than yours. Um, you sure on a different level. That's who I am and how I, I dealt with them. I was always up for with a challenge, if you will, and, uh, and and well, what about now? Uh, you know, in, in, in modern times, then I also had to deal, given my nature as I'm explaining it, with arguments from the modern philosophical and scientific world hmm, that were substantial in terms of a response to simple arguments that Prabhu would give as to the difference between consciousness and matter. You know, Prabhu would say things like, we don't say I body, we say my body. Therefore, I must not be my body. That was enough. Wow. Like this, we're not that body was like a mantra or something. It's like a cone. Like, What's that? And you could say it to somebody and they would go, not that body. I mean, <laughs> so it was uh, quite a kind of startling uh, um, statement and it was very motivating also. And it's kind of the basis, right, of Vedanta philosophy, just the basis. It's like 101. It's so 101 if you will, the Rupa Goswami says, knowledge of the difference between the Atma and the body is, is, is not an Anga of Bhakti. It just like happens when you do Angas of Bhakti that you, you realize that. Whereas it's the whole argument, you know, in Advaita Vedanta practically, you know, that once you figure that out and you're done, like that's not where we're, we're, we're not done with that. We've got a lot more to go from there to attain Prem and so forth. So, but, um, 
but in prophet's time, it was important, you know, to emphasize that, in, given the given the audience that he had and so on and so forth, right? So it was a strong argument, but uh, and, you know, a strong point. And there were many simple art, common sense kind of arguments that he would give, and so on and so forth. But they weren't um, responses that you could give today to someone who was educated in, for example, the mind-brain argument, which is a conundrum, conundrum, you know. Is the mind a brain or is the mind different brain? If it is, where is it? Why can't we see it? You know, how does it, uh, you know, in the history of science, it was thought under Newtonian physical perspective, that really um, we knew the forces that caused everything in the world. There would be strong and weak nuclear forces, gravitational force, electromagnetic force, and that's it. So the idea that consciousness and the will of an individual even existed, or to speak if it did, had any influence on what happens in the world, just was not, you know, something to entertain. And then with the, the development of the quantum physical perspective, well, that, that changed a bit. Now the, the, the observer uh, influences the uh, you know what happens now. Whether that you know, sophisticated arguments, whether that observer observer has to be a being or not, they argue against that. I think there's a good argument for it needs to be and so forth. But they're very sophisticated arguments, very heady, uh, and you have to know the terminology and. Uh, and, and, and whatnot that they used and are in there, and you got to know something about physics, which is, uh, you know, and biology, you know, prophets' comments about Darwinian philosophy. Well, they were fine for us at the time, but the argument of Darwinian philosophy has become much more sophisticated over the last, you know, half of the century than it was in 1960 and so forth. So, so to be, because in my trajectory, if you will, you know, I was a member of ISKCON and I left ISKCON in force of circumstance because I felt I could better serve Prabhupada uh, serving independently. And of course, I had guidance of Sridhar Marsh from the Sikshu Guru. And he told me to do something separately, a mission. And um, when you do that, well, you don't have this whole big mission behind you. You've got to create a world, you know, for yourself to talk to. You've got to see what the arguments out there are and so on and so forth. And I oh, I was very, uh, at that time I was, after leaving us, when I was, I was very disappointed to find that while I was in a mission that was very convinced about its, its philosophical perspective, it was not the arguments that it entertained basically um, and embraced were not arguments that would be brought up in a social gathering amongst educated people. Hmm. Who, where, where you might find, um, oh, where have you been lately? I haven't seen you in so long. Well, I was, I, I took a month and uh, and I went to a Buddhist retreat, and it would be cool. Wow, would you like some wine? Uh, <laughs> tell me about it, you know. But if you said, well, I was, uh, you know, I, I joined the Hare Krishnas for a month. <laughs> well, it's nice, you know. I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, but I don't see you for a while. Longer, you know, kind of. A, it wasn't. It, 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 that's. I'm obviously I'm over kind of emphasizing, exaggerating, but it was not 
our theology, our philosophy was not something that was being entertained by educated people who, many of whom were affected and to some extent by the mission, un un unknowingly, if you will, Prophet's influence and others from the East, uh, they were being influenced by Eastern you know, philosophy, which is subtle in its influence. So the way in which Eastern philosophy has creeped into you know, Western sensibilities, which were theologically speaking, almost universally Christian at, 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 at one point, is, is considerable, but it's subtle. If you look at art, you can find it, you know what you're looking for. Uh, we look at a dictionary, karma, dharma, you know, it's on a TV show. I mean, whether the concepts were understood or to what extent, who knows? Concepts of reincarnation. Um, yeah, a lot of these computer people are into it. They name their, you know, their, their, their program Shiva or something, you know, it's out there. So the influence of Eastern philosophy is, is actually considerable in, in the Western world, in the Western Eurocentric, you know, perspective is, is, is affected by it in ways that they don't, it's not always acknowledged or not that well understood, I don't think. Um, um, and just the nature of Eastern way of expressing itself is, is more gentle and uh, inclusive and subtle. So anyway, um, I, I, um, I felt disappointed that that Gogi Vaishnavism being as rich philosophically and theologically as it is was not understood by such people and being you know, talked about in comparison, for example, to Buddhism or Dvaita Vedanta, which are just like very um, um, much lacking the, the, the charm and the, the philosophical theological nuance of, of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. I mean, there's, just, there's just no comparison. I used to think if we could get the, the, the Western world to acknowledge that consciousness is, is, a, is a fundamental feature of, 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 of the world, right? And it has an ontological status. It's not uh, something that, it's irreducible irreducible um, that of course where they would most be most susceptible then to gravitate toward would be Advaita Vedanta, Neo-Advaita Neo-Advaita perspective where all the religious baggage is left behind. If you look at Shankar, he didn't really leave any religious baggage behind which would include in a modern thinking all the stuff about Krishna's mythological I mean for Shankar Krishna was as real as, as he is in this world, and as Prakat Leela was as, as he was for any Vaishnava. He has this uh, two tiers of Brahman, right? He has the Nirguna Brahman and the Saguna Brahman. The Saguna Brahman is not just some mythological story, it's a reality. The Ishwar comes to the world. Shankar said, ah, if I could only retire on the banks of the Jamuna and just hear Krishna's pastime, my life would be complete. There are verses like this from Shankar, so on, on pen and so forth. So. The neo-advaitans, you know, they want to do away with all this baggage. This is kind of a conformity, if you will, to the modern philosophical materialistic perspective that 
that's why they gravitate towards Buddhism. It's not theological per se, you know, um, and it's all about logic, reason, and um, we can do away with certain aspects that they want to do with reincarnation and karma because they just can't support it with their reason based on particular interpretations of scientific data that's, that's been then philosophized about, that's so built in to the society that the economy is dependent upon it, you know, academia to be anywhere in that field of education is dependent on largely buying into this physicalism, naturalism, materialism as a philosophy and so forth. So if we could get them to, and, and, and it is moving in that direction towards a pan-psychic perspective. Pan-psychism means Christian's consciousness is everywhere. And it, it, it's, it's an ontological substance. And um, 10 years ago, Panpsychism. If you if you were a panpsychist, you were a nut. <laughs> you thought that you thought that bees had egos, you know, and then they found they do. <laughs> the trees talk to them. That's magical thinking. I'll tell you what's magical: the idea that at some point, non-experiential content matter hmm, suddenly becomes experiential. Like I said, the billiard ball suddenly says, could you put a little chalk on the end of that thing? That, that's, that's physicalism. It accounts for consciousness in this way, that it arises. One of the perspectives would be like, you know, what do they call it? Uh, like steam, uh, epiphenomenal. That, that, you know, many, many perspectives on it. That's why. So it's there, but it doesn't have any, you know, what does it do? You know, steam coming off of a teapot, it's there. But it doesn't have any effect back on the on the system on the pot or whatever. Um, so um, anyway, I thought well, if they could, and it is going in this direction. They have, of course, materialistic perspectives of panpsychism. They keep trying to stay in the predominant paradigm because you'll you'll be thought to be weird, stupid, sentimental. Not, not rational. Meanwhile, of course, physicalism or materialism says that reason is, 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 is no more meaning than you know, the sound of rain falling on your roof. So <laughs> it doesn't do, you know, you really, theism gives much more room for reason to have a role to be meaningful. But anyway, it's, it's silly the way it, very close to the other, but it's 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 a bit. This is the predominant paradigm materialism. So if you you think as probably the change in the world, you wanted to preach to educated people. When I started to find out what educated people really thought, hmm, rather than somebody I met at the Kmart, you know, take a book or something, whatever, to get into their arguments. Um, and I had more time to do it because this country is very busy in a certain way, largely at the time in Eastern Europe, which had opened up, you know. During in the eighties, and so there was lots of people to join, who who were just like eager for something else besides communism, you know. And so uh, they weren't—I don't mean to diminish them at all—but they weren't the kind of thinking audience that, I, that I'm that I'm um, you know, talking about. Easy converts and so forth. 
hippies were easy converts to punks were easy converts. <laughs> but uh, and that's all good. But to uh, to get this Gaudiya Vaishnavism into where it would be fashionable to speak about it and in a uh, in, in social circle and uh, be entertained for its uh, intellectual integrity. Hmm? Any philosophy is, is only going to have so much intellectual integrity to it where you can say, okay, at least it's, it's rationally, you know, you can be rational and have this philosophy. It won't answer every question. It will for you, but it won't for everybody. We're talking, of course, ultimately about something that it doesn't answer to reason and words it's beyond reason, it's beyond thought, it's beyond words. So, so thought through reason, we can only say so much about it and try to put it into words. So you can always find a little hope. What about that? You know, how's that work? And, and you just go, well, that's you know, the part we couldn't explain yet. You have to go there and probably go there and find out. Once you go there and find out. Um, so anyway, that's been uh, my concern. Um, for some time, and I thought if we could get the world to embrace a panpsychic perspective, the original form of which is Vedanta, hmm, uh, and, and they would naturally gravitate towards an Advaita Vedanta, a neo Advaita perspective. And I thought that would be good, as much as probably would lambast against the Mayavadis. You know, this is a different time, a different circumstance. So we'll all get there, and then we can talk about, you know, well, what is consciousness? Everybody's accepting that it's, it's it's beyond time and space, and it, it's, uh, for example, then then we have some very nice comments, you know, to bring in to to consider. Hmm. So that there's um, a lot of like really head bending kind of thoughts, and you go for sure you're a little aware of that uh, field. I think we studied a little bit of that, right? We used to talk about it sometimes. Um, so I had to answer all. I had to come up with all the a sufficient uh, response to it. And I'm quite comfortable with what, what I was able to come up with and answer those type of doubts that arose from that particular audience. So this is a little bit of my history, dealing with doubts. <laughs> uh, stick with me. I'm faithful. <laughs> Thank you, Maharaj, for sharing. I took a long time to answer that one. <laughs> Some good ground cover. What's the time now? 12.30. Any other, I'm sorry, but other questions? No, it's fine. Um, are you checking for questions there? There's a few questions on, on here, on Zoom. Um, well, should we take a couple more? Yeah. Shortly, yes. try to give a short answer to what have we got? <laughs> okay, so Abai said, my question is from Hari, Leela, and my reading of Madhurya Kadambani. In the section about offenses, it mentions that up to the stage of bhava, you can make an offense. And it says that the result of offenses on this on the stage of bhava can be to have your rasa lowered from an example, gopi bhav to sakya bhav. I was a bit unsure of how to think about this as all of the rasas are just different degrees of perfection. And I certainly didn't like to think of someone becoming a cowherd boy as a punishment for an offense. So I'm <laughs> just wondering um, if you could speak about this a little, thanks so much. Yeah, it is a confusing uh, statement about you asking me to say, do I have to admit. Um, and uh, there it's a bit of, if one offends a devotee, 
um, in to one degree or another, I think besides maybe the commentaries, three different degrees, there'll be three different results. Even if one is in bhava, one's bhava could be turned to a shadow of bhava only or uh, downgraded as you're referring to or what done away with or something like that, I think. Uh, if the offense is more serious and, and so on. Uh, the examples that are cited by Vishwanath Thakur are really not very good examples in a sense because they deal with examples of persons who are in, in the leela and are liberated and, and, and so on. So I like to think of it more as a hypothetical, if you will. Um, the chance of someone making an appearance to a Vaishnava in Bhava Bhakti is, 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 is like, well, you could say it's there. Hmm? because he hasn't or she hasn't been framed, but the likelihood of it happening is just, um, it's, it's something you could say about it if it happened, but it won't happen, something like that, yes? Could it also be like evidence of non-inherency? Well, people will argue both ways on that, um, but yeah, you could make an argument like that. Um, and there also, also, I would say that there are two stages of bhava. There's the sprout of bhava, bhava pur, and then there's the full development of bhava, which we uh, refer to as like swoop city. So, in the earlier stages, um, uh, something like that may be more possible. Another way, I should say, in which Vishwamitra Thakur has talked about it in his commentary on the Bhagavad in the third canto, he speaks about the fact that the Kumaras hmm, approached the gates of Vaikuntha and they offended the gatekeepers by their response. And uh, they were Brahmavadis. Now they were in touch with devotees and Dasi Bhakti. They could have got Dasi Bhakti, hmm, but because they offended them, they could only get Shanta Bhakti. Hmm. Of course, from Shanta Bhakti, you can change. We talked about that the other day in relation to the Kumaras. How they, association there they change whereas whereas from Dasi Bhakti or Sakya that's not going to change. But he spoke about that in that way. Um, so I, I anyway I, I as I say I try to look at it as a hypothetical and then I think the verse doesn't speak about those differences but the commentators have have have, have given that uh, correct uh, possibility lesser offense this will happen greater offense that so um, that's my short answer on that one. Another question? Um, there is, there's another one here. Oh, is there another one there? No. Okay. Um, so Sharada said, um, I read in the Bhagavatam six canto that Lakshmi being the internal potency of the Lord is the greatest worshiper of Lord Narayan. Can you compare her with Radharani in the context of how they worship the Supreme Personality of Godhead? Namaskar, Sharada. Yes, yes of course, Lakshmi is, is considered to be an expansion of uh, Radha. Narayan is an expansion of Krishna in the part of the own. So, Radha is, Lakshmi is the Radha of Narayan. Something like that. 
Of course, and she's known for her chastity to Narayan, of course. Therefore, she was really questioned when she expressed a desire to enter the Rasa dance with Krishna. Chaitanya mm -hmm. Mahaprabhu said, how is it that this Lakshmi that's so chaste to Narayan wants to have an erotic fling with Krishna? He asked Venkatabhata, who was the head priest for the Ramanuja Sampadaya. And Ramanuja said, oh, no, 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 there's not a problem. Hmm? He explained the tattva. He said, Narayan and Krishna, they're same, the same person. It's the same person. Mahaprabhu was pleased with the answer. And then he said, how come she couldn't? She wanted to have a date with Krishna under the moonlight in Braj, like the gopis. She was getting a little tired of, you know, <laughs> her role with Narayan. She saw these gopis, they got a little more, you know, something to say. <laughs> they can make a point here and you know, change the equation a little bit. You know. <laughs> Going to try that, you know. But uh, Mahaprabhu said, How come she couldn't? She couldn't answer the Rasa. And Venkatapada passed out at that point. He said, Only someone who. Ryan himself could ask that question. He you know, would know the answer. And of course, Mahaprabhu gave the answer to answer. Lakshmi has certain bobs, so she can't change her bob. And, uh, and if you were to, if there's a particular way to do that. You have to follow exactly in the footsteps of the gopis. Instead, what she did was she went to Broad, she sat down, she began eating roots and, and whatever fell from the trees and performing tapasya and austerities. And Krishna came across her crossroads. Lakshmi, what are you doing here? Where's your royal attire and everything? And, and you're eating, living like an aesthetic. aesthetic. And he, she said, well, I want to enter the Rasa dance. I said, well, that's, it's, it's not like that. It's so easy to do. You're, you're performing all these austerities. And, and it's, it's unbecoming for a lady of your stature. So you don't have to. It's not necessary. Our austerities are, you know, our toughest things like wearing tilak, you know, and... Uh, our austerities are like observing the things. So anyway, it's very simple. But um, all you have to do is you have to give up your husband, first of all. That's first. You have to marry another husband here in Grudge, and then you have to give him up. <laughs> <laughs> she ran back to Vaikuntha after that. Her study Bob could not digest that at all. So or Parakia. So, so Something about Lakshmi. Lakshmi Devi. Yeah. All right, so I think we'll stop there. Nice to be with all of you on Zoom and everyone here. Gold Premanande. Ravinda Kija. Divine Grace Bhakti Vedanta, Tripurari, Guru Maharaj, Kijai. now. Okay, that was nice. <laughs> Does he um, go back to uh, California to, today, so. tomorrow? I don't know. Um, I know it's really, really soon, though.
Mm. Um, mm. I, my guess is in, in the next few days, if not yeah. tomorrow, because I know that there are no more classes. Um, right. Well, th- he's not giving any more classes. Yeah, I'm pretty also pretty bummed I couldn't go this weekend. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to announce the classes. So this is the last week of March. Um, so uh, on Monday, Hari Priya is giving class, chanting as the prayer of the heart. Um, and then on Tuesday, Guru Nisha is giving class. Um, Hari Nam Chintamani, how to chant Shuddha Nam. And then on Wednesdays, um, this last Wednesday, um, exploring the third verse of Shikshasakam with Guru Sundar. And then on Thursday, Brigupad is giving class, Sri Titania's Holy Land, Navadweep Dom. And I think, um, Archana, do you know the answer to this? So Friday is April the 1st. Are we just continuing? Or does anyone know the answer if we're just continuing with the same classes? The last? I, I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know. <laughs> um, well, Shamananda is giving one of the classes. I don't know if Who knows? Does anyone know. Who knows? Okay. Um, so we'll just see. So Ashram Maharaj could give class or someone else um, on Friday. And then Shamananda could be giving class as the sun rises and sets. Gaudiya Vaishnavism goes west. Um, yeah that's is there anything i'm forgetting archana i don't think so i don't think so either um all right 